welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. The deliberations for this program and the subject matter usually begins around Monday of the week after the episode I have just presented. And this last week, I was outside on my terrace as I began to think about the episode, and one of my hummingbirds was sitting on the branch of a ficus plant, glancing askance at me, prepared to wish away should I show any inclination to approach. She darted, I think it was darting, her head, checking me and the surroundings and the hummingbird feeder until she concluded it was safe enough to take a sip of the nectar. Then off she went. Another smaller Allen hummingbird descended and took a quick sip before being chased by the returning prior visitor. The lives of these beautiful creatures changed not at all in this now nearly past year. The usual stresses of the avian species pertained to trusting the humans who inexplicably put out little feeders for them, territorially protecting their hanging red containers, avoiding the lurking predators of their kind, but mostly flitting backward and forward, up and down, lighting only to gather the nectar's energy, and by dark resolving into a torpor until morning to begin again unaffected by the events affecting us humans with which they coexist uneasily. And those events have been, I won't say cataclysmic, because perhaps they haven't happened quickly like a bomb or a war, but they have had perhaps a more pervasive effect on how we have lived and will live our ordinary days. I found myself not wanting to think about this past year as I watched the hummingbirds alight and chase and alight again, and I stopped making my notes and moved to a freestanding hammock I bought when my terrace was being waterproofed, and I lay on it stock still until the dominant female Allen was satisfied I would not try to capture her or hurt her if she went for a sip. I could almost see her thinking as her head darted up and down toward the feeder and back to me, should I take the chance and take my eye off her, meaning me, I actually could imagine remaining like this, staying off the reality just outside the door. I could see the hand of God almost as he drafted this creature, unsullied by the problem of sin, unaware of the reality of death. We were once like that, unsullied, though the Lord had bade Adam and Eve, that they should not eat of the tree of knowledge, lest they die. The reality of death had not yet formed for them. They were held in the palm of his hand without worry, until they superseded his wishes. That feeling I had for just a passing moment as I watched the hummingbirds, I wondered if it were a taste of what it was in paradise. It was very quiet but not in the Gnostic sense of, of it, boring. A lot of people will say, well, heaven must be boring. But it wasn't boring being that quiet. I was suspended in time, 
I knew heaven could not be boring if this momentary contentment was magnified in the divine presence. The afternoon cool brought me back to this world in the year 2020, and I returned to my consideration of the last episode of this podcast before the new year. I'm having a hard time seeing it, and what I do see is rather depressing. It's not as I usually would, the turning of a written-on page used a little bit messy to a fresh, clean one. Usually when one year has had obvious tribulation, the possibility of the change to the new year with it inculcates hope. But right now, the tribulations of 2020 seem certain to roll into 2021. The news today of the fallout of the pandemic and the pandemic lockdown, the divisions about just about everything, surely rolling into the first day or months of the new year, it makes the idea of celebration feel virtually impossible. In California and other places at least, there can be no external celebrations, no gathering in squares or large parties with confetti and horns. There's a sense that the new year is really an extension of the old. I mean, there remains an ugly debate over who is properly president and whether we will remain a nation given our horrible differences about the very nature and founding of this country. It is more than a simple division. It is about the essence of the American experiment. It almost seems moot to consider the idea of making personal resolutions amid the social, psychological, and emotional quagmire. And one wonders, no, I wonder, as I have throughout this past nine months, a strange gestation period indeed, what God is telling us, though in our heart of hearts we cannot but know, a warning perhaps, about the lives we are leading in this great modern time in which mankind thinks itself separate and more significant than God. My emotions, always a bit of a psychic roller coaster, are up and down from day to day in a more frenetic cycle. But God, if I let him, and therein lies the rub, it is always about my, mankind's willingness to let him act within me, within us, in small and bigger ways. He offers rescue, if we do that, in the here and now and in the final unfolding of time. I could see, as this week progressed, his intimations of peace and glory, of hope, mostly hope, for me was the immediate need as I kept slipping into a sense of despair. This past week, toward the end of the week, as plans had already been set for the outdoor service at my parish, permission was granted by the authorities because of a superior court ruling here in California and a finding uh, related to New York by the U.S. Supreme Court that churches could go inside again subject to health protocols. Our parish was going to continue outside through the holiday since that was where most decoration had already occurred and chairs were set up and a tabernacle was also placed. But on Christmas Eve, we all awoke to find that it was raining 
in California, something it doesn't do that often. My first thought was sadness and gloom and a little anger, as if no respite from this scourge of a year would be permitted. Once again, I failed to trust in him. I was set to lecture at the 4 p.m. outdoor service. There was also going to be a 2 p.m. service. I heard nothing of cancellation, and so I was going to be there if the service would proceed, even if I were in the middle of a downpour. I wish I could say that my thought was holy. It was more rebellion against not God, but the fates. I just wasn't going to let this happen. When I arrived, I saw a few people by the door of the church itself, though the set, the, the, the planned location was still set up for the outdoor service. It was still drizzling and threatening, but not still fully pouring. The 2 p.m. service during the full rain had been moved inside, subject, I reiterate, to protocols that had already been set up months ago for the inside before that was canceled. Our pastor had, in some sense of maybe anticipation or hope, put up some decorations inside as well as outside, an act in my view of grace by God, enough to create a festive frame for the birth of our Lord. I don't intend to disparage anyone who insists that a person of faith can pray and be prayerful uh, to his God anywhere. In Catholicism, the rich ritual isn't just fluff, as so many think it is. It's the reflection, the manifestation of recognition of his glory, his divinity. We express the one-on-one -on -one relationship in the Eucharist, in the church, surrounded by a liturgy that though because we are human is relatively weak. We can't give him the glory he is due in our fragility, but we give him as best we can the glory and thanks for his ultimate sacrifice for us. The relationship is the Eucharist, his body. We also do private prayer anywhere, but the most powerful expression is in the church, in the liturgy. That cannot be done just anywhere. Before people pronounce what is good enough for God, I have to admit that I wish they would research the church, the Catholic church tradition, which goes back all the way to the time of Christ, unbroken, despite digressions periodically, but unbroken. I don't think people realize, people of faith, people of goodwill, that until the 16th century, which is a long time after Christ's birth, a long time after the founding of the Catholic Church, that everyone agreed with the dogmas of the Catholic Church. It was when Luther protested, creating Protestantism, that the break occurred. So the break really didn't occur by the Catholic Church. It occurred by others who disputed the Catholic Church's behavior, which was certainly rational because it was bad, because human beings constantly sin, and though Christ founded the church, he knew that our sins for which he had died would continue, because he died for our sins past, present, and future. What he founded was good. It remains good. 
but human beings implement what he founded in a poor way. And so people broke off, but they break off from each other still. So the question becomes whether or not what was ultimately founded was true, not whether human beings are able to follow through on what is true. That is an individual choice, and that's the act of cooperation that he asks of us to follow him despite our sinful natures and with his grace. I kind of went on a digression there. Sorry about that. But I want to point out for my personal relationship with God, it would be perfunctory if the mass in my church were not part of my life. It would be no more than like a Christmas card a year with a scribbled note and God deserves more than that from me. And his gift back is his residence in my body and soul via the bread of life, the Eucharist. Suffice it to say that being able to participate in the Mass inside this Christmas Eve in my church refueled my depressive self, rescued me yet again. And then I remembered something else that happened this week that was very enheartening, but I didn't connect to this rescue, if you will, until I went to Mass on Christmas Eve afternoon. I watched a documentary during the week on Father Patrick Payton, the priest who was known to say the family that prays together stays together. He was known as the Rosary Priest, and I've mentioned him before. He is a servant of God on the way to official sainthood. And when I watched the program, I had the beginnings of the stirrings of the rescue to come and a recognition kind of a different thought, a more urgent thought about the new year. Advent was a preparation for the coming of God as a child. The new year is an opportunity, a demand that I prepare now for his second coming, the day and hour of which I cannot know, but which feels to this small being as very, very close indeed. If you want to talk about a personal, outside-of-church relationship with God. The rosary, which Patrick Payton advocated in a way that is really quite powerful, as powerful as Fulton Sheen's sermons over the years. And here's the thing about Patrick Payton and the rosary. He didn't suggest that the rosary was just for Catholics. It's for everyone. And what it does it takes you through the life of Christ using his mother as kind of a frame. She takes us through the life of Christ. She is a human being. She's a human being conceived without sin. But she is the mother of God, of Jesus Christ, and she is our guide to him. She is the human being who bridges between God and man. Her son is God as well as man. She is the new Eve, the Eve who said yes rather than no. Let me tell you a little bit about Father Patrick Payton and then again posit the rosary as a way to maintain a daily relationship with the God, second only 
to the Eucharist, but creating a disposition in us, in mankind, that recognizes the great work of salvation. This rosary has the potential to be the new for the Christian who has never prayed it for the new year. And if you are not a Catholic, perhaps a way to lead to the conversion to Catholicism. It's also a way for the Catholic to prevent himself lukewarm and discouraged to maintain the faith as a Catholic. Patrick Payton was the quintessential Irish priest, like the ones we used to see in the 40s and 50s and early 60s in the movies. His love of the rosary was begun when, after coming to the United States and studying to be a priest, he was felled by a severe case of tuberculosis. In response to what was effectively a miraculous healing, because his case was so foregone, he became an advocate of prayer, especially through the rosary. In this world then, but especially now, human beings have few tangible weapons against the spiritual evil perpetuated by other human beings through the temptation of the devil. He reiterated that the rosary was a spiritual weapon, a sacramental of great power as it invokes God's protection. Now, Father Peyton has been gone probably since the mid-70s, but his presence is not completely disappeared in the world. His family theater, which he founded back in the 40s and 50s, still exists as a brick-and-mortar place where productions still are created, including the one about his life, and still promoting the rosary on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Now, in fact, occasionally when you pass the billboard, among all the other rather seedy billboards, you will occasionally see a picture of the rosary with his famous statement again, the family that prays together stays together. To listen to this priest preach in old videos on the value of the rosary is to hear a man in utter, honest passion. You can't but be moved by the way he speaks of God and the rosary. He begs us to see the value in meditating on the life of Christ who saves our souls if we follow him, if we overcome our pride in thinking we know everything. I realize that I have two things that I will always need to be reminded in my weakness to save my immortal soul. I have the Mass and the Eucharist and the other six sacraments and the Rosary too lifts me up out of my fear and despair if I but choose them and him. I have the same choice as Eve, for God or against him. So, the new year, which in human terms is likely to look much like the last one, or worse, in spiritual terms could be the best ever by keeping myself focused on the life of Christ. For those who are not familiar with its workings, the rosary's workings, and I have said to you that I am only now praying it with any regularity. Let me go through the basics. You can go online on your internet or YouTube and find out how it's done in more detail. I happen to love the Rosary Across America with Father Rocky, which 
is said at 5 p.m. Western time every day. So if I get this podcast online today before 5, maybe you can watch it and you will then have a really good sense of how valuable it is. It also is a prayer that binds us to one another. You get that real sense through the Rosary Across America. There are four mysteries, four segments, if you will, on the life of Christ as seen through the eye of his human mother. The joyful mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, the glorious mysteries, and the one started by St. John Paul II, the luminous mysteries. The Rosary begins with the Creed, then the Our Father for the intentions of the Pope as the descendant of Peter, then three Hail Marys for the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Then there are the five decades of the Hail Mary, a glory be, and the Fatima prayer for the salvation of souls. Before that decade, or each decade, we reflect on the moments of Christ's life. So let's take the Sorrowful Mysteries as one example. There are five, the agony in the garden, the scourging, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, and the crucifixion. On the more cheerful side of the mysteries, you have the glorious mysteries, the resurrection, the ascension, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the assumption of Mary, and the crowning of Mary in heaven as the woman who said yes to God and so made possible this birth in the manger. To spend time on these mysteries, if done with regularity, is to transform your prayer life. Whatever the new year is to be in human terms, we will need to keep our souls from sinking into the despair that led Judas to betrayal and the sin of presumption by his suicide. Peter sinned no less, but he trusted God ultimately, and after weeping bitterly, he continued on the road in cooperation with his Savior. We are not capable of preserving ourselves. What can it hurt, even if you were skeptical, to look into the rosary as a way to access our Lord through the beloved mother who cooperated with God. For me, I got a little worried the other day because I missed saying the rosary, and I haven't missed probably in the last 50 or 60 days. So I was worried in this because my yearly resolutions usually fail, and I didn't want this particular one to fail. This is a critical resolution, and I beg God to give me the grace to persevere in it and to truly preserve my soul in his name only by his grace. I don't know if it makes sense really this year to say Happy New Year in the traditional way, but I would say let it be a fruitful new year in prayer and in love and in caring for one another despite everything that we're seeing around us. Lord God, spare me from my cynicism. Let me end with the Fatima prayer. Lord Jesus, preserve me from my sins. Save me from the fires of hell. Bring all souls to salvation, especially those most in need of thy mercy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. 
I feel badly because I haven't done a whole lot of interviews, partly because I'm still a little bit nervous about doing the Zoom and then trying to transfer to my Audacity program. But I have five or six people that I am hoping to get onto the program in the next year. So keep with me and do, if you like the program, go to the Podbean website and become a follower. And that gives me great encouragement. Thanks very much, and I'll see you next year.